1: Hey, welcome back. It's Recovery Sort of. I'm Jason. I'm a guy in recovery that's a kind of a peer-ish person, depending <laughs> on your definition, as here always with
0: Billy. I'm a person in long-term recovery.
1: And then we're also here with Jen T today, who is the CEO of Voices. Is that the right title?
2: Executive Director.
1: Executive Director of Voices. Is that above CEO? Is that? I think it's the same thing. Do we just come up with random titles for people like, yeah, in the world? Yeah, it's
2: like, which one, you want, which one do you like best, chief executive officer or executive director? I think executive director is more accurate because we are a nonprofit.
1: Okay. So you executively direct. What does that actually mean? What's executive? <laughs> is that like, that's the guy who like makes the rules, right? Or enforces the rules enforces enforces man. the rules right so you're the enforce you're the direction of enforcement
2: i like to think of it as more <laughs> like a conductor of the orchestra
1: you are the orchestral conductor of Voices of Hope Pagenti is with us today. <laughs> we're going to talk about uh peer work and, you know, government funding that's coming into neighborhoods and and what we're doing with that and what we maybe as people in recovery could step up and do a little better with that or or what how we can influence where it can go and uh so we're going to give Jen, you know, a few minutes to describe her passage of how she got to this place and why the hell she's here today and take it away, Jen. Hey
2: everybody, I'm Jennifer. I'm also known as Billy's wife. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, we've been the sponsor of uh, Recovery Sorta of for how long now? It's been a year and a half, two, two years, years? Yeah. two, two years. years. What a sponsor means for Recovery Sorta of is that we give them space. Um,
1: <laughs> yeah, they have a basement. I think
2: yeah. I, I think I purchased the first microphone though, yes. which I, I don't <laughs> know where that is. It's not here now. So you I guys have totally right. upgraded. <laughs> um Yeah. So. We are the nonprofit that sponsors this uh, podcast, and I just wanted to come on to thank the listeners who have donated to Recovery Sort Of, and they've kind of passed it along to Voices of Hope. We have a fund that we call the Recovery Sort Of Fund, and we use that fund to pay for things that don't fall under any kind of grant for covering, like uh, shoes. You know, you got a person who was homeless, a pair of shoes, and there we were some meals we've given to people. We actually paid for a week in a recovery house for a guy. Um, so we, we appreciate that extra funding being there for people who are in need. And I wanted to thank all of you guys who have contributed. It uh, definitely helps a lot to those people who, who really need something right now.
0: Yes, and just a shameless plug. If you would like to help people in recovery, you can donate. We don't keep that money or use it for ourselves at all. We pass it along.
1: Yeah, there's a there's a PayPal button that's hidden uh very discreetly <laughs> tinily at the bottom of the recovery sort dot com website page. Uh so if you if you seek that out, you can also contribute and tell your friends and like and subscribe. Yes. Thank you.
2: <laughs> yeah, thank you guys. Um so You know, we've learned a lot over the last two years of Voices of Hope from the podcast. You know, I think of some of the people that you've had on that we've listened to as a group, Mm -hmm. Um, like the Recovery Cafe episode. You know, we all listened to that and was picking up ideas and and things that we liked and didn't like. Um, When you had the Drug Policy Alliance people on, Mm -hmm. that was really, really cool. Um, when you had the nurse, our wound care nurse on, yeah. we loved, everybody loved that so much. And you should probably talk to him again. Yeah. Um, there's been some serious, uh, and hopeful situations, you know, that he's encountered now that we have him full time mm-hmm. at Voices a Hope, uh, goes out on the mobile wound care van. Uh, but you know, people who've been helped that have actually experienced an amputation at this point, but are still grateful to have their lives. And it's just a wonderful thing to see. Uh, people who care can influence the lives of other people um i stopped listening a few months ago (laughs) Uh, let's get into it (laughs) yeah bring it up man i would be like yelling at billy after i would listen be like what the heck are you guys talking about in there what are you doing
1: is this before he started like i that this is just when we said we too much right
2: we you yeah <laughs> yeah well that's
1: kind of hard not to but so you haven't heard any of the ones where we argue about clean <laughs> no oh because he takes your side
2: yeah. Oh, he takes my side I okay think. that's good <laughs> I think that um I think he's on your side yeah it's uh it's difficult to uh you know have unbiased opinion I'm sure a lot of listeners feel that way that we have a lot of different opinions but it's been neat to see how you Jason have. Changed through this process of doing the podcast from being a um, twelve step purist yeah. to being like anti twelve step, and I'm like, dude, <laughs> this is a recovery podcast.
1: <laughs> right. Well, it's recovery, sort of.
2: Yes. <laughs> sort so of. I just figured you guys will work it out. You don't need my input.
1: Um, I'm actually shocked, though. I got I got to be honest. Like when we talk about those things, and Billy tells me a little bit about how it frustrates you, I'm I'm like, how could she? Guide voices in the direction it goes, and feel you know, learn all these things about the the compassion and the empathetic view and the non-judgmental stuff, and then still hold tightly to the traditionalists like twelve step beliefs. It, it, it's kind of shocking, and not like a judgment kind of way. Just, I'm just like baffled. I'm well, like, let me explain. <laughs> Please do.
2: I am very empathetic and supportive of multiple pathways of recovery. I know they work for many people but i also have a deep and profound respect for those those entities and what their traditions or guidelines are whether i you know believe and celebrate recovery right and i think it's awesome i'm not going to be okay with somebody going in there and advocating for them to worship a buddha or to you know change their policies to fit what a person's looking for and um so i have a deep and profound respect for 12 steps and and their traditions have helped thousands of people they don't need to be changed what needs to be changed is just talking to people about where they fit best and how can we support them in Mm -hmm. their journey and because you know the 12 step fellowship has helped me so much you know it's just it's given me the life that I have And, and not just the outside life but the inside life that I have such a deep and profound respect and adoration for it that um, I want you to have that too, you know. I'm like, how could how could each question, and uh, be against and, and present it present us in a certain way when uh, I have experienced um, love and support through different faces, uh, in different places, but through that that fellowship. Um, but I do appreciate all of them,
1: you know. Well, but even down to the idea of like the wording of clean meaning that other people are dirty like that. I just, it's surprising that that doesn't trouble you. Like I, I don't know. I feel like, and and look, it's not that I think the recovery community of a 12 step fellowship hasn't been hugely instrumental in my life and that I don't have a deep respect for that. But I think sometimes we, might go to this place of reverence where we decide things can't grow and change and be adapted for better use, right? Like anytime we're talking about holding on to something the way we've always done it. And that's our main reason for doing it some way. To me, that says we're not opening our minds to really think about if that works best. We're just saying, well, that's what we've always done. That's how it works. We got to keep doing that.
2: I've learned through the fellowship that the change is best implemented through watch what i do and ask me why i do it versus shame and ridicule
1: oh you know? do i shame and ridicule people i do so,
2: <laughs> and you know <laughs> just, i definitely do Maybe not, know, so perfect, there's certain but... things that have dropped from me over time and yeah. i just show it i don't and then there's that's righteous it's self-righteous mm. when i say to others well you need to do that too
1: it's hard, though, right? And I'm sorry, I'm cutting you off, I know. Yeah. Just the idea of, like, it's almost to, to implement change, we do need the people that are just silently doing the new thing. And I think we also need some vocal people that are kind of out, you know, shaking the box up and, and drumming up, like, why do we hold to these ideas and and... Yeah, the think, But In tradition <laughs> like one, when we
2: talk, unity must come first. So there's yeah, yeah, principles yeah. in the way that we do that, I think, um, is really important. And um, there was something else I was going to say about that. You know, clean, that there's language to certain fellowships, sober, recovery, addict, um, adult child of an alcoholic. There's, there's a language inside of meetings that we use to connect with one another and to, to try to talk about the same things that we don't necessarily use outside of that fellowship because it does take a different context. Like, to me, clean in, 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 in N.A., I'm not thinking of dirty. I'm thinking of, <laughs> there's, that's an achievement of me, uh, for me. You're um, thinking
1: of abstinence from certain decided drugs, but not all drugs.
2: Right, it's abstinence. It's abstinence from some drugs. It's abstinence is defined by me, you know, and my sponsor. If I'm unsure, you know, but uh, for me to try to say, "Well, what is it for you?" I'm and trying it, to bait her. It's not, and working. it needs to be this, <laughs> and it needs to be that. And if you're not sure, then you're this and that. It's like there's some there's another focus that we can we can take the focus from that negativity to more of an inclusive. It's okay, you know. And this is why people might say something different. I can have those conversations with people who are close to me.
1: I've right. had them
2: in recovery, you know. Like, you know, this desire is, is not can be, can't be measured. Those kinds of things. You don't. Know, I don't ever. I feel like those conversations are not beneficial at the group level. Like in a meeting, they're more beneficial one to one. If I'm making relationships with people in the program and being a sponsor or a leader i'm talking about it in a loving caring way for both sides right? I-,
1: I want y'all to know listener that jen comes on with this really loving and compassionate voice <laughs> which makes me look bad no matter what the <laughs> hell i say uh, but it- it's difficult because you're right it, it is about unity and-, and i feel like that's kind of my issue going into this is that we don't want people to speak up in an ununifying way because the program needs the unity, but the problem I have is that the program doesn't have the unity that I would think it needs. I think it's separate from that unity. We're pushing people away. we're not unifying people, and that's a problem to me
2: In order to keep our space sacred, we have to have boundaries. We can't be all things to all people like've I know you've heard we're just not that and AA told us that. Right, and AA told NA people the addicts are not all things for all people. I love when people use AA. And then they we we made our own space. And Voices of Hope is an organization that we identify there's need for additional spaces, and we have a place for those uh, fellowships to meet, and we reach out and encourage them to meet and create and be here at one central location, so you don't have to have that hard time of finding them. You know they're here. Mm-hmm. So but that's an outside issue, right? But my sponsor says, you know, it, it's gotta be safe for us, um, people who are trying to live life without the use of any drugs to, to make to mar my view of reality. Um mm. if there's one place that can be safe from people who use drugs, you know, um, or trying to live life without the use of drugs. It's is this where be we're going NA. today? No, I don't that's want to not good. You time. can cut all that out, but that's just between you and me.
1: Is, is that? But is that? I mean, we don't. Any meetings aren't safe from people that are using drugs. We welcome people that are using drugs. So I don't even understand that.
2: Well, you know, we're trying to uh, learn through the twelve steps how to live life without the use of drugs, and our literature is pretty clear about what abstinence is. And um, is I think I feel so. Like it's really not. Well, if you're looking for the gray, you'll find it. But if you're really looking for direction, it says absence is, is not using any minor mood-altering chemicals. But um, we do. Right? When you're talking about caffeine, nicotine, okay. I, but, <laughs> or any drugs to replace drugs or for the treatment of addiction. That's the difference.
1: Well, and this is where my, I think my fundamental problem comes in. And maybe this just means I I don't belong in NA anymore, is that I don't think And this is a topic I want to actually bring up with Billy at some point. I'm not sure addiction is a disease. I think drug abuse is a coping mechanism. So that really redefines how I think we need to treat it.
2: Well, this might really get to the root of the real problem here, Jason. Somewhere along the line, I think, and I'm just going to say, that you forgot Uh, that the disease is not about using drugs. Exactly. That it's about the spiritual self-centeredness that underlies the drug use.
1: Which means there is no drug to treat addiction, which means that that whole thing about we can't accept people that use drugs to treat addiction is bullshit because they're not using drugs to treat addiction. They're using drugs to treat a drug problem. And the program is about treating addiction, which is not a drug problem. Right. So that whole statement about what's clean or abstinent is false because it doesn't fit in.
2: It sounds like you're doing a lot of mental <laughs> masturbation there, buddy, and baffling yourself with some bullshit. Maybe. I'm just going to say that because that's what I I well, can spot how, it because I got it.
1: Well, how can you say in one sentence that addiction is not the drug use, but then say, well, clean is not using drugs to treat addiction?
2: Well, I think with any 12-step program, it tells you that the first part of trying to recover is to stop the behavior. What brings us to N.A.? is typically our drug use. But I come from a place, when I first started, my meetings that I went to had gamblers, uh, food addicts, um, alcoholics. It would, and I was taught that it's not, that the drug use is just the symptom. That's why I don't get caught up in what's clean and what's not. It's very clear about certain things. But when I did my first step, when my sponsor it was all about the nature of the disease, which is um, obsession, compulsion and self-centeredness that if untreated will result in me acting out in some way to get out of myself and out of my head so you know i don't know if you have that i mean because if you have a drug problem all you need is a detox right and maybe that's all you needed was to be scrubbed up and now you're good but for people like me who i have a I have a serious problem <laughs> inside of my ears with viewing life and love and people and relationships, um, I had come from a place, you know, before recovery of a lot of fear, of all of those things, and overthinking, right? So that self-centeredness is the overthinking of things, reliving the past, and thinking about the future, and thinking about what you're thinking that I'm thinking about. These things in my head that I didn't know was a disease, a, a, a spiritual part of the disease, until I did that first step. And, but I can get separated from that truth and focus on, well, I haven't used that. I haven't acted out in that symptom for so long. This is 10 years I haven't done drugs. I must be good. My life is all right. And I get that way when I'm not sharing about my feelings. I'm not in touch with myself. Um, and then it will crop up in other areas, you know, my disease of self-centeredness. The symptoms of self-centeredness, I can see them in your life. Isolation, distrust of others. Embarrassment, guilt, shame, substitution. Are we talking about me? Rationalization. Yeah. I'm sharing part of my story uh. here. And I have to watch out for those things when I'm in recovery because those are the red flags that addiction is coming back up. So if you can focus on the symptom and get lost in the sauce and forget that what we're doing here is more deep, is spiritual in nature. It's about learning a new way to live, new way to view people in life and love. So. I think we're coming from, you know, different planes, and I don't know, from what I've heard from you, you're a fucking addict, and it's not about the drugs. It's about your internal side. Now, you can cut all that out (laughs) of this
0: podcast. Well, I I have, a, I guess, a different sort of question to go a little bit different. So, how does therapy view people that are using, like, as a-
1: It's a coping mechanism. If you're doing,
0: but I mean, do you tell people, well, you can still- use whatever you're on or do you encourage them to try to stop like this i guess does using impair someone's ability
1: to participate in therapy so that depends on who you ask um <clears throat> what i will say is and this is where i think the view separates a little from this idea of addiction being a disease so much is that <clears throat> we look at addiction as a coping mechanism, which is really exactly what Jen just described. She said the disease is more this like core of self-centeredness right. and these acting and the out behaviors, right. including drugs, are the, the coping mechanisms we use to try to compensate for the way we feel in that self-centeredness, right? Which to me is pretty much kind of what therapy says. Um, our goal is that anything that interferes with your life and makes it worse in your eyes we want to help you find ways to stop or do differently or do less, right? We want anything that bothers you to happen less in your life. That's the goal. Does that mean if you are on drugs that we can't start doing something? Absolutely not. Like we start there, right? We. What do you want to do about that? How can we work around that? How can we start to deal with and process some of the things that are causing you to feel that way, right? Like I didn't so, I, and I look at like step six and seven in NA, I could just keep praying to have one particular character defect removed, right? Like, oh my God, I'm, I'm looking at porn way too often. God, you got to take this porn addiction away, right? You got to take this obsessive porn use away. But they always talk about like the tissue box. When you take that one out, the next one pops up. Well, okay, hey, I'm relieved from the porn viewing. I have three weeks of utter peace and enjoyment in my life. It's totally serene. And then I start doing something else, right? And that was my experience until like my prayer in in step seven stopped being to remove this particular character defect and started being, hey, can you like help me be whole and love myself? Because then I don't need all this other acting out shit, right? And and I'm not saying I, I ever get to this place of complete wholeness or that I never act out. That's not the goal but I get closer to that. And I think that's therapy's point. Like we want to talk about the underlying stuff, the ways you feel about your childhood, the ways you're hurt, the ways you feel like you're not enough and you hate yourself because the more we do that, the less you're going to need any of this other shit you use to try to cope with that. And and I think that's what the steps do. And I guess that's kind of my beef is that like, why do we put this hard cap on who's included and being able to do that and not? And like, Let's just start doing it. We don't have any evidence that says it doesn't work. We don't. It's, it's written in some words, but who the fuck made that up when, before we had Suboxone, right? We just kind of made that up and we all stick to it. And I'm like,
2: but there's other places, you know, there's ACA, there's, um... but nobody
1: listens to the actual wording in the step. Anyway, we all say, oh, you got to be clean before you work it. But the first step actually says you have to stop whatever acting out behavior you do before you work it. And nobody fucking follows that. Everybody goes through their second round of steps and they're still in the process of acting out in some ways and they still work the step and try to stop it. Like, I I just, why do we listen in one way and not another? I've gone to
2: OA, I've gone to ACA, I've gone to SA, you know, for support in that specific area. But I know that, you know, like you said, with therapy, it's like, I remember reading, there was a PI, public information thing where it said, you know, if you want to use drugs, that's your problem. But if you want to stop, that's ours. And so NA is not for the, I got a a difficult drinking issue maybe on the weekends. NA is a place for where nothing else worked and I am desperate for change. If you can get, if you can use and you can get your life together, please do it. This one safe place is for people who are very sick. This is my view. Very sick. Not just kind of, we need a little people to talk to. It's like, I am very sick. I am going to die because I can't stop this behavior. And I need people who have been there and have found a way out and continue to live that way. That's my special space. But ACA, you know, is another great program. You know, OAGA. But to, to, to be like, well, let's just change NA to be these other things, too. It's like, I don't know why that is such a hard pill for you to swallow, no pun intended, that for those of us who need that that deeply, you know, why would it not be okay?
0: (laughs) Yeah, Well, I wonder if it's the idea of like a sort of, to use modern verbiage, like safe space, like, you know, when you go to NA, you expect to be hearing from people that are abstinence-based recovery you don't expect to hear someone share and tell a great story and how recovery has been great and then go oh yeah and by the way I drink every other Saturday or I use every oh, other like, I can't weekend you know what I mean I like, have you tried have weird <laughs> I have tried to do how a little
2: bit and mm. I can't I have tried to do just this or just that and I can't and this is the one safe space and so I guess that's where that respect and understanding of like what it really is I mean why aren't you so freaked out about people going to church? Why aren't you encouraging people to go to church instead of NA to talk about their, you know, suboxone or their other things that they're doing? But your laser fa- focused is like on NA. Because
1: NA is the big player. For you. It's no, it's the hub. No, it's the hub of recovery in America.
2: It is not. Dude, f- you have not been around. If what you other go- <laughs>
1: program is as big as N.A.? Billy
2: and I have five changing okay. around the world. N.A. is not the; ho- It's a hot spot here in Cecil County. But just going over to Harford County, it is not. What it's is? the A.A.
1: Oh, okay. A.A. and N.A. together are the hot spot of recovery. Mm-hmm. They, they've become the hub. So when that's the place you've heard of, like, yeah, I've heard of all these ACAs and OAs and, and SAAs. After I got in recovery and started talking to recovery people, but I didn't know any of that shit was real. Well, well and you a- went to a- treatment and NA are for... the ones that are universal. Everybody's heard of that.
2: But you got introduced because of drug use. Had you had a porn problem as your primary issue, you would have been introduced to SA before NA.
1: Yeah, I well, get that. I don't know another that thing sense.
0: interesting, though, and this is just from talking to recently people in you mentioned Harvard County, is that it seems like... AA is now making a transition to be something different than they were before. I guess over in Harford County, a lot of the addicts and people going through treatment seem to find a home there, which I just, I find that interesting. Like is AA adapting its so understanding of those things and is no, it changing and evolving?
2: It's you know? very community related. Like every 12 step fellowship that I know whether we were in Massachusetts, Utah, or Florida, or Harford County, Cecil County, Baltimore, you know, Wilmington—it's very community-driven. Like that community makes up the rules and and and, and the, who's going to go where and where the cool yeah, the people culture. are. Yeah. And uh, but I, I find that with listen to the podcast, there's a with Jason, there's a um a tendency to be like this is my experience so this is how it is this has been what i've experienced so this is where it's at everywhere and i would be like listening to you and be like no jason you don't you know you've got such a laser focus on your own experience that it's hard for you to understand that things are very different outside of your bubble
1: okay so in the places where na is not the the main player or the hub or aa is not the main player or the hub i guess my point would be there probably isn't a hub there's nowhere for people in addiction to go seek help as a group and find other people like them
2: there's been very i I can't even count on one hand how many places i found where there's not an aa hub
1: okay and that's fine but that doesn't mean there's another one it's not like there's some other group out here called uh recovery anonymous where everyone's welcome well their right? celebrate There's recovery
2: else. is huge in certain care in certain areas as well well um, okay and that's fine but yeah. that's
1: still a very laser focused group right on one particular venture of people
2: Well, in california you know that whole chemical dependency anonymous thing is huge
1: and maybe this is where my problem is maybe i'm bitter at na but the truth is just that i don't want to accept the fact that I want something that's more inclusive and, and I have these strong ties to NA because it did so much for my life. And so it's like, I don't want to let go of that, but I also want to be a part of something that really, I believe serves the recovery population better than NA so personally. maybe that's it. Maybe, maybe you're growing. I'm trying to make it tie in because that's where I want to be. And the fact <laughs> is I just need to get the fuck out. Yeah.
2: You're turning your anger on the one thing that's helped you when it could be a more peaceful transition where yeah, you can be, a, I love N.A., it has helped me so much, and now I'm going to experiment with other things. I have friends that are doing that, you know? Yeah, that, it's and hard. That, but well, you're like angry and shit about it. I and it's am, like,
1: because I think we to could justify
2: leaving, and it's like, it's okay, man. Ah, it hurts, though. And
0: that's sort of what transition us a little bit towards what you do, I think. It's like you have your role in na that you've had for all these years but you found another way to like channel and be more inclusive and help other people outside of just that and those two things can exist yeah, in the same space so, you know
2: when I, how to i become a peer so yeah, i've been so got in got this recovery community work, yeah, for right, a long yeah, time
0: to step outside of Na
2: for over 20 years just you know working different jobs na is the way because it's really helped me um it's been instrumental and it's given me a community but um. You know, I was in between jobs, and one of Billy's sponsee, the great Scott Tice, was like, "Yo, Jen, you know, Jen, you Did we just say his last name? Yeah. He's dead now. He passed away. Yeah, Is that I, legal now? <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> okay. I'm sure he wouldn't care. Um He's like, Jennifer, man, you should do this job at this health department. They got this new peer thing they're doing, and I've been trying to do it. And it kind of sucks for me, but I've been going out there and talking to jails and talking to... To schools, And I think he'd be really good at it. And I was in between jobs and I was like, all right, I'll, I'll try. And I guess I'm going to go tell my story at different places of what I thought. right? <laughs> so I applied for this job and the day that I get it and start, Scott quits. Thank you, Scott. <laughs> um, and, you know, I learned a lot. I couldn't believe it. And I have, I've been doing the work since 2012 well, and I have not told my story yet.
0: And not to cut you off, but what was interesting. So Scott was doing that work and he found I'm going to say that his struggle and all that was the opposite of what you say. So his struggle in that was they wanted him to be inclusive and in introducing these other ways of recovery. And he was like, absolutely not. The only thing that works is abstinence base and the 12 mm-hmm. steps and all that other stuff is bullshit. And I'm not saying it works and I'm not. <laughs> and so he was at, at odds with the job you know being inclusive of these other things right. he was so married to that idea
2: so, so anyway um, i learned in this government job this health department job about the opioid epidemic i mean granted i'm in na but i didn't realize how many people were dying because um, they these are people i feel like never even knew about na or got there um lots of people and i learned about the lack of services I realized that we're available to people who wanted help. I realized how much the 12-step fellowships were no longer in a lot of locations that were when I first got clean. Like when we went took H&I meetings into the jail, when I first went to the jail and I had six months clean, the COs would bring us in coffee. They were so happy to see us. And um, now we can't even get in there. They like closed us out. And a lot of the rehabs were like closing the 12-step fellowships out and replacing it with their own stuff and their own pathways of recovery, um, their own
0: aftercare, that right. there was
2: no services, you know, the, the detox was going from the hospital and that they weren't doing anything with people who came in for substance use. which I knew from the streets, you know, we knew that if you really wanted to get help, you had to go to the hospital and tell me you wanted to kill yourself. And yeah. that's the only way they're going to help you. And way. you had to be sincere. <laughs> um, but to be on the other side of watching that go down. Watching the gap of people who are struggling, the systems that help them, and the actual recovery community, it was like they didn't know that there were people who had twenty years sober or ten years clean in in the community. They didn't think or know that those people even existed. There was no connection to the recovery community, and I was like, "Dudes, man, I can bring I'll bring this room full of people who have double digits. This stuff works, and we are large and strong in the community." And they were like okay you know i'm like oh my gosh um and telling them about the people and all the, the networks in in the real world outside of that state agency and uh, i was shocked and it was disheartening and um i remember one day the guy one of my supervisors sat down and said jennifer was wondering if you could um have a conversation with the president of na in this area and um See if they would reduce their stance against the whole abstinent thing, you know, because <laughs> it's, um, you know, people are not feeling like they're welcome and, you know, they are clean if they're on methadone, you know, they're not using other drugs. And I was like, whoa, dude, one, number one, there's no president. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm certainly not in connection with anybody who says they are. I said, it's a, it's a group kind of decision and a cultural thing. And this is the history and this is where it's at. But there's other places and, um, you know, it was just a shock that this guy who'd worked in the field for 15 years, 20 years, didn't know how the 12-step fellowships worked, right? He really thought there was a regional president and explaining that basic stuff. You know, so working there and he said, his name was Mike, he's like, oh, he was on the podcast. Yeah, he was on. And he said, Jennifer, how about getting a group of people together, people who want to volunteer here and just have like a, a group. And see if you guys could come together and address certain things. And so there was a bunch of people. You know, it was Crispy who was on here. It was me. It was uh, Lori Ergang, a lady named Beth. So it was like people in recovery, family members. Uh, Sam was there. And uh, we met and we decided on our name, Voices of Hope. We met at the health department. And we had four things we wanted to do. So that we decided we were really going to try to advocate for. One was an in-county detox that accepts Medicaid. What? We have all these people dying and no detox. Two was a 24-hour recovery community center. We all remember times in 2 o'clock in the morning, early recovery, where we needed people. Three was um, legal syringe exchange. You know, we we had no program here. It wasn't even legal to have. And we knew that people were really suffering with... uh, soft tissue infections from needles sharing needles i mean i shared needles you know if only there was a needle exchange program when i was using um
1: i'm mad every time i give blood that we didn't have a needle exchange that i could have been a part of because (laughs) my veins are wrecked from just i use the same shit over and over like i was like yeah you use these 100 times it's great so they get like (laughs) totally flat
2: (laughs) and then the other thing we wanted was youth services to help young people in recovery Um, so you know from 2013 now to 2021 where we're at now we have legal syringe exchange which we do Um, we have a recovery community center that's not exactly what we want I mean it has peers available to talk to people and to net treatment do treatment navigation crisis intervention and personalized recovery supports but It's not like the coffee shop hangout spot Mm. yet, but we're getting there. We have meetings every night of the week now and uh, peers that work, you know, we're open seven days a week from uh, 8 a.m. to 1 a.m., you know?
0: And that's one of the things I think that's different and it calls back to more what you're talking about. Like the Recovery Community Center, the idea of that was not to be like the old-fashioned like AA clubhouse that has like – 27 AA meetings and maybe one meeting from some other fellowship that feels half the time unwelcome there. But an actual legitimate place where different people of different recovery pathways can come and feel comfortable, can get connected, like the recovery cafe idea.
1: I feel like if every community had something like that where, where it was more like, hey, yeah, we have meetings here every night, but they're not any particular program. It's just, hey, we come out. It's al- It feels more Maybe like group therapy. Maybe some nights it just feels like we're just fucking hanging out. Right. And, and that also existed throughout the day. If that was in every neighborhood within mm-hmm. walking distance, I don't think I would give a fuck what any stance was, because I honestly right. think that would take over as the hub for everything, because I feel like it would be the place people wanted it to be. Right. I. Yeah, that. <laughs> But
2: that does roll into something else, you know, okay. it's like how can we advocate for that service to be every in every county in Maryland, right? Mm-hmm. So Voices of Hope is an anomaly. It's unique. Um, we have 40 peers on staff now. We're in two locations. We have five different locations, but we're in two different counties. Mm-hmm. Um, we still don't have youth services and we don't have an in-county detox, but we have something that's kind of similar where we've subcontracted it's been three years working on this project of uh, subcontracting a med- with a medication provider to provide person-centered uh, medication services, methadone, suboxone, and Vivitrol, and kind of address the issues that we have seen in our community for years, uh, people who are struggling on those medications and need supports to, to kind of easy on, easy off, switch up pathways and have that support in between and after, the, you know, uh, so it starts this week. Uh, we have our two first um, clients, and it's it's not part of Voices at Hope. It's kind of like a subcontracted service in within Voices at Hope. So, but everybody who is going to that service is, comes through Voices at Hope peers to make sure that a person centered. Uh, recovery treatment plan is developed and that we can provide them wraparound services like transportation and their basic needs and maybe recovery housing is being met. Uh, It's innovative. I haven't heard of any place else that's really doing it, truly doing this. Um, And it's scary. (laughs) And
1: and, and I feel like, okay, so those people come in and you're helping them. and, And while they're with you, they're getting help. They're getting compassion. They're getting empathy. They're getting... You know, these things we believe people need, Uh, you know, Billy talks about the the book he read where the disease of addiction is kind of conceptualized as the disease of isolation. Right. And we need to be more inclusive. And that's I, I would say whether that's exactly true or not, that is a huge part of coming into recovery is getting back into connection with people in the world. Right. So while they're here, they're getting that. And I think that might be some of the problem. When people come to see anybody at my work, right, all of us uh, sit in meetings and talk and we're like, well, well, where do we send them? Like, yeah, they can get the help they need with us for an hour a week. But where can I send them where they could go if they wanted to every night of the week? And they could also form these bonds and connection and they'll be extremely welcome. And they can also work a helpful program for them. And there's not a place for that, and I think that might be part of my bitterness too. It's like I, I want to send them where I got help, but that might not be where they're at just yet, and I have nowhere to send them, and I and I'm disappointed that we don't have that greatly. And I so think we do that. me too.
2: And uh, which is who's going to do it if not you? Who's well, you, not going to do it? it? <laughs> <You're doing> it. <laughs> you have to be like, okay, come on, people who are who are well you know and have benefited from different pathways of recovery you know i just feel like i was in a cush kind of going in my recovery i wasn't doing my I meeting and helping newcomers when they asked me to sponsor them and i was not aware of my bigger community at all and i Mm -hmm. guess it's not it's it's just god's time god's god's time god's way and uh I would not have gone out to do that. It was like through Scott Tice, you know. That right. was the only way that was going to happen, but the the story is and and my message is is that we in the recovery community and that's people in recovery, family members and allies, we need to look in their communities. We know people are dying, we know people are suffering, and we can change it together. Um there, there's only hope in us doing something because the people who are doing it are doing it for money those are the ones that are stepping up and claiming this but those who really have compassion and empathy uh, for their communities can do something that is motivated by just trying to help and fill the gaps and you know we talk about you just said you know why if this was in every county well maybe it should be and whose job is it to do that but ours you think I thought somebody else was doing this stuff. Like, I thought somebody else was going to Annapolis and advocating on behalf of the recovery community and the family members who've lost loved ones and allies. And come to find out they're not. There's nothing there. There's treatment providers for-profit agencies. For-profit
0: treatment providers doing it.
2: And and when (laughs) they say, we have money for recovery, you know who's taking It's the treatment providers, the hospitals, and the government agencies. And what I can see what they're doing with it. Is they give it to each other Mm -hmm. and they make a lot of programs that have really good on paper, but you go to access that and somehow it's not applicable. Mm -hmm. It's not there. And so what I've realized is that, oh my gosh, we have got to create a network. And, you know, I was just talking to you about, you know, Mobilize Recovery just met in Vegas last week and that's through Ryan Hampton, a guy who, Um, I think he's in California, who's bringing all these grassroots recovery community organizations together to try to pull us together to to build us capacity and then advocate for the recovery communities and people in recovery. But it's got a long way to go. And faces and voices of recovery say they are the leaders. But when I talk to them, they're like so deep into uh, policies that I don't even think they they don't have their ear to the Recovery communities, you know, because they're certainly not giving me any kind of help, um, personalized help, and trying to survive and get funding. So there's nothing going on, even in Maryland, and we're above the curve of most states, except for Arkansas and, and a couple of others. That, uh, be
1: honest, how the fuck did Arkansas become the yeah, leader in anything? Right? right? Like,
2: like, right. I think, I don't I know. I mean, who knows,
1: but damn. That's like, what I got to find how out. How did Arkansas get ahead of? Us or any state, I would be asking that. Arkansas? They're the ones really?
2: that were able to put together laws that said uh, peers need to be in jails and emergency rooms and all these places. And they made a statewide network t- uh, to train peers and put them in there. And uh, the the law, we need a law that says substance use needs to be treated in the emergency room, every emergency room. And who's going to do those laws? It's like there's no lobby for recovery communities because Who can make money on 12 steps? Nobody. Mm -hmm. Who makes money on the recovery community? Nobody. So that's why we don't have any lobbyists. Um, So it takes people who really care enough about their community and say, man, this has got to change to step up and do something about it Mm -hmm. with people that are like-minded and uh, really take an interest in it. And, And it works. You know, we're making some big changes, but we're taking big risks, as you know. We have failed as things, but we just keep going um, until until it's all gone, you know.
1: (laughs) I think I know the answer to this question already, but I still have to ask.
0: This episode has been brought to you in part by Voices of Hope, Inc., a nonprofit recovery organization made up of people in recovery, family members and allies. Together. Members strive to protect the dignity of those that use drugs and those in recovery by advocating for treatment, harm reduction and support resources, and mentoring. Please visit us at www.voicesofhopemaryland.org and consider donating to our cause.
1: Is it your opinion that members who've been uh, in recovery for an established amount of time for some amount of time where they feel pretty solid in their recovery might actually benefit the recovery? So what I feel like happens is we get into a program, whatever program that might be, and we get along and we're like, the best way I can be of service is to show up in this program as often as I can. Maybe the theory might need to be, you know, one of those nights I go to that program that I like that helps me, maybe I could do something different in my community that might affect more. Like, yeah, if I'm here, I can help the new person walking in the door, but maybe that's good for one night a week and maybe some other night a week it might be more useful for me to, like, really start getting involved in my community and and taking action outside of this. Is that your opinion? So...
2: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> my message that I'm sending out will touch the hearts and minds of the people that it, intends, it needs to hit because, you know, the, especially the anonymous fellowship, you know, um, that means anonymous, Jennifer. Now, this is the things that people have said to me. Anonymous, Jennifer, that means you don't tell people you're in recovery. Yeah. Uh, anonymous, Jennifer, <laughs> yeah. uh, you're just, look I've been called an attention whore. Um, I've been, told i'm breaking all the traditions um the traditions
1: have no rules (laughs) we've established
2: (laughs) um and uh, i've had people say i was an egomaniac doing it for myself um you know people say oh Jen, that's great but don't ask me and don't even put me out there you know Mm -hmm. because there's still a huge stigma for people who are in recovery and you see it with teachers nurses lawyers moms Soccer coaches, they don't want to be out as I'm in recovery. You know, it's just not there. I mean, it really takes a a special kind of hit on your heart for you to be willing to step up and out. And you just see it in newcomers, right? Newcomers are like ready to tell the world they're in recovery (laughs) because everybody knew how terrible
1: they were. I got a meme about that.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I was horrible out there and everybody knew that. So, but then you get some time and you're like, Oh, okay. You know, tone it down, just live your life. And, and yeah, I do my service work here in the fellowship and on 12 step calls. And so, you know, and I have to respect that. You know, when, when my sponsor says, you know, you go ahead, Jennifer, go ahead and do what you're doing, you know. um, But she's not interested, and that is okay, you know. I, it's, it's okay. So I think for I was born an advocate. I was born for the heart of the underdog, for the people who are suffering and struggling. And then I saw it happen in my own family and with my neighbors. And in that pain, I said, there's got to be something that is being done or that i can do when i saw there was nothing being done i was like well shit man so then there's people that are called to the work i just ask people to listen to their own hearts and minds and and look and see if nobody's doing it would you and if somebody's doing it would you help them if they're struggling because that's what it's going to take to make a real difference
1: well and i think that's the problem in 2021 um coming from, you know, my profession's experience is that we're all, like, that's what's leading us to have so much life disturbance from these things in our lives is the fact that we have so many things in 2021 that take us away from that unity of of mind, body, and, and spirit, true self, whatever you'd like to call it, right? And so we're not even in touch enough to know what it is that's on our hearts to listen to them right that's what i think we've we've stuffed all this stuff and blocked it and we got our smartphone games and our netflix all fucking day binging it and and, and look i'm not judging people or, or, or putting you down for that but i think that's the stuff that keeps us from being able to hear what is on our hearts because i truly believe that a whole lot more people would step up if they were able to be in tune and hear the message from inside of them right uh you said earlier like if if it's not our jobs then whose or, or something along those lines and my thought was less like well, I don't even want to put that on people that it's your job but like wouldn't you want to st- like i feel like most people would like if you if you interact one on one with somebody on the street you want to do something it hurts you to not do something for most people right it's easy to sit in our homes, watching our Netflix, playing on our smartphones, doing our comfortable life, getting our Starbucks. And this is me, too. I'm not pointing the fingers at anybody here. It's easier to do that because it's it's safe and hidden from all that what's really out there and what isn't being done. And it's like to take that time and and see what's not being done and get in tune and do our healing and then realize, fuck, I can't just sit here and watch this once I'm healed. Like I got, I got to step up now. There's more to this, and it's.
2: I like what you were saying there, and I think I was while you were saying, it, I was thinking about too. Is like it takes recovery, um, to, you know, filter out, you know, the demands of my addiction and my self-centeredness, to be able to sit still for a minute. And it takes work, you know, the twelve steps work to, to then be okay with who I am, who I am, and what I'm feeling. Not be so afraid of my feelings, and. To be able to get a message from within and be safe with feeling it and in listening to it. Because I think for certain periods in recovery, people were like, okay, I just want to be normal. So that means, you know, husband, kids, yeah. school, Profession, job, yeah. house, and then there's like these feelings that come up. It's like, Oh no, that's a weird feeling. Yeah. You know, let's push that back down. And, and if it keeps coming up, okay, it might be dissatisfaction or a passion thing or, or a message. And we're like, Oh no, no, no. And if it gets too loud, we might be like, Oh no, I'm going to take mm-hmm. something to right. shut this up.
1: Right. First I got to change jobs or, or, you know, spouses <laughs> right. or, or whatever. They're Very a uncomfortable. House. Yeah, a and car. I <laughs> want to
2: control that. I'm going right. to try to dictate where my life goes. And, for me in my recovery it's like when I try to do that I get with hit with a lot of you know worse feelings but it takes recovery in order to to process that kind of stuff you know so um with new people they are just like ready to go you know Voices of Hope is full of a lot of people with like (laughs) less than two years you know are super passionate man we're going to use that passion and train them and get them out there to help people because they can really connect with new people but uh Usually with people in recovery, you know, we can't attract them to the peer force because uh, by the time they got two years they're already in a whole mode of
1: career oh, yeah. and yeah.
2: and 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 doing their thing and
1: gotta make money.
2: Mhm. I gotta bring them money. But uh so peer work is uh is is fulfilling work, good work, um, you know, but for a lot of time, a lot of places it's entry-level
1: work well and, and that's maybe one of the things uh what you know we call peer work i think in now in current times it's like very much looked at as an established job position but uh, it also includes like not paid for work right like we could step up in our community and be peers and advocates without ever getting a, a cent for it and i get it like i didn't want to donate a whole lot of my time before i'm not blaming anybody who doesn't but like that that is a thing like you don't have to take that on as a job to you know find a peer network or or a community outlet or outreach to help in your area and say oh that night i'm not going to that program this week i'm gonna go there for a few hours and just spend it around the community and see what's up
2: yeah fine um there's a few that are passionate like that most seem to be driven by the monetary aspect um and then the other biggest advocates that come to the table, unfortunately, are mothers and fathers who've lost their loved one, you know, to overdose. Um, they can be our biggest advocates. Um, but, you know, for me, I'm like, whatever it takes, man, let's just get some stuff done. And we have been able to, I think. Um, you know, we got a lot of people into treatment a lot of people in recovery housing have been compassionate advocates to people who are still using drugs and i think like you said i want to it's like this is a place where we can be like whatever you think is going to work but here's the education on all of these pathways there is abstinence there's detox there's medication there's different levels of medication there's a religious like everybody has a preference and a lot of people have already tried some things but if somebody wants a certain pathway it's important for us to know those people in the different fellowships that we can connect them to you know give them a phone number refer them to a a good meeting like i can't be your sponsor as a peer but i can introduce you to some people that would make good sponsors so peers are people who are equal i'm not a counselor i'm an equal person in recovery yes i have some power because i work for the organization but peer work is like hey man you know, when we go out in harm reduction, Hope Street, and we talk to people, we're building relationships that, um, are built on compassion and empathy and just checking in with people and seeing how you're doing, not trying to convince anybody of anything. Um, but just showing that we care and then slipping in there. Yeah. I I used to be in the same kind of situation and I, I went through treatment and now I go to, you know, these certain meetings and, um, And uh, I'll see you next week. I hope you're here, you know. And then after a couple weeks or months or never, they're like, hey, man, I really need to go into – I really want to get treatment. And um, we bring them into the recovery center and give them the options and hold on to them. Not just, well, here's some phone numbers. Give them a call on Monday. (laughs) (laughs) It's like we – We'll hold on to them until that bed date is available, you know, a safe place to get a shower. I mean, yeah, we might have to get them medically stabilized through community doctors who really give a shit. Um, But, you know, we'll hold on to them. And then when they get out, you know, we're calling them. How are you doing? Do you need a ride to meetings or what's going on? Um, And then they'll turn around sometimes and volunteer here. And then we hire them. You know, we have a, a girl who you know it's been our wound care peer so anyway peers are people with lived experience um, that share their experience strength and hope with recovery to um, inspire and support people and sometimes the story isn't they get treatment and recovery sometimes the story is you will be their friend while they're homeless and being a sex worker or dirty and or and dying or Without their kids, I mean, the worst case scenario is for that person, you know, and they have nobody, but they will have a voice of hope here that'll see them on Tuesdays to say hi and care about them. And that's part of the work, you know, um, people with wounds that, you know, they're going to have to get an amputation, but we're going to walk, walk, walk that with them. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not, uh, Save your work. It's um at the end of the road. Work a lot of times, and once in a while, somebody's going to try to to use your vision of hope to inspire them to to. To get better and do better. Um, But in Maryland, peers are not Medicaid reimbursable, which means there's no funding stream like other states. Probably Arkansas has Medicaid reimbursement. (laughs) Goddamn Arkansas. Which provides hospitals and treatment organizations the ability to put peers on staff. But because it's not Medicaid reimbursable, it's all grant funded. So Mm -hmm. people are hustling for those funds. And um, so it's a capacity building stage for Maryland just to get in position to have peers everywhere because it works. You know, it's an evidence-based practice that uh, is proven by SAMHSA that it allows clients or participants to engage in treatment longer, feel like they have a higher quality of life and success. So uh, it's not just saying it sounds good. It actually helps quite a bit.
1: You mean we actually invested money into research to prove that having a friend made your life better? (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Right. I think I could have told you that.
0: (laughs) But they were like, there's no proof. (laughs) Right back to that connection.
1: Yeah. 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 I mean, they just did a study. I, I was reading about it where they looked at the medical health outcomes of people as they age who don't keep intimate relationships versus people who do. And people who don't have intimate relationships as they, you know, get 50 and older have the same health outcomes as heroin addicts mm. it's like well yeah i mean you need friends it's it's hugely important friends. to your
2: life close friends yes close People friends. that you share your feelings with
1: yeah not the not the hey how was the game the weather's nice kind of friends you need yeah i need to tell you about how i want to fucking choke my wife when she pisses me off and i need to tell you about my kids and how i want to strangle them sometimes like it's a, we need to talk about it, the shit that hurts
0: if you missed it jen keeps giving me like the side eye <laughs> <laughs> that's directed right at me <laughs> oh I, I saw it I was ignoring it <laughs> uh,
1: so yeah, well, I mean well where do people go with this you You're in a community that has no voices of hope, that has no you know recovery cafe that has no anything that's helping people except maybe a couple of program meetings a week Where do you even start? how do you even i mean this like yeah, you're in a position now where there's a program and there's forty paid peers on staff, and that's awesome. But when you started, it wasn't. And, and how do people find this ability to start when there isn't any funding? And it's just about, hey, we're going to donate every other Saturday to go in and doing something useful.
2: Okay. So this is just my opinion. But I would suggest that you get somebody else that might be interested. You know, maybe it's a couple people. And I'll really look around and see, is there anything going on in my town, in my community? Uh, you know, look through the calendar of events in your local newspaper because sometimes they'll have it posted. If you still find nothing, uh, no organization that's doing recovery supports in the community or peer engagement, that's what you want to look for, peer, peer recovery specialists, then go to your local health office, your health department. Chances are they have a funding stream that's called Recovery that's going to somewhere else. <laughs> that's going to a treatment organization or that health office itself to do work. And you can ask about it. You can ask them if there's a ROSC committee in your town, which is short for Recovery Oriented Systems of Care. That's a, a big push from the federal and state governments to try to get these ROSC meetings where people who, um treatment providers, halfway houses, uh, recovery support networks are supposed to come together to talk about the continuum of care from crisis to actual recovery in the community, um, and, and and dig deeper. and And you might want to ask your health office. Well, what do you guys? Get? Every state got recovery money, right? So when we talk about the nation's response, and this is just my understanding. I'm not a doctor at this or anything. This is my little world, you know. Understanding is that. When the national government said, we're going to do an opioid response, and every state's going to get sore dollars, state opioid response dollars, it was to fund a four-pillar system. Uh, one is law enforcement. One is, of course, one is prevention. And one is treatment. And one is recovery, I do believe. So every state got recovery dollars. You just got to find out, where did your recovery dollars go to? Right. Now we have this opioid settlement, right? A lot of states sued Purdue and all these places to get some op- money for the overdose deaths that we've experienced from this. Every Most states are getting money. Where will your money go? Will it go like the way of the tobacco money where it was went to you know new roads and some government people got cars and, and things like that? Or can you make sure that that opioid money at least goes to the children? of those who died Mm. at least goes to the recovery communities. You know, when they give recovery dollars to treatment organizations that have the ability to charge insurance companies and Medicaid and Medicare for their operations and they have millions of dollar budgets and, and people who, you know, are very well compensated and they're taking the recovery dollars for your state or County because you have no mechanism to receive it.
1: Who's getting the money in Cecil County?
2: we're fighting for it you know uh-huh. so there's there she our county government's like talking about oh we're going to do um you know some uh, disbursements they've been doing some you know through their OOCC and OIT it is complicated but i believe we have a seat at that table okay. um but the state we have to hustle because there's no mechanism in maryland for it so you know that shepherd pratt and all those hospitals are going to be like we'll take it because we'll hire peers in our emergency room and recovery in the community is not the same as treatment right so if you have people peers working in treatment in hospitals but not in the community to make that connection then it's still just treatment right recovery is different than treatment and and the only way that these funding mechanisms can make that distinction is if you guys put a seat at the table, but that means getting together and deciding what do you want? What's going to make recovery in the community? That means outside of jails and hospitals and rehabs work. What do people that you know need? Is it jobs? Is it education? Is it housing? Then organize and get a seat at the table. And if you need help or at least some direction, feel free to reach out to me. Um, I'll do what I can uh, but because we are invested in not only our survival, but in the empowerment and survival of recovery community organizations throughout Maryland and the country.
1: How do they reach you?
2: Oh, it's uh, Voices of Hope 414 at gmail.com.
1: There you go. Yeah, I just along similar veins, uh, one of those states, and I can't remember one, I just read the title this morning while I was reading the news, was they're taking the coronavirus relief money and using it to build prisons. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, relieve us from uh, what are they going to house coronavirus people? I don't know. Yeah. I, so just saying, like money that's supposed to be earmarked for one thing gets used however the hell people in power decide to use it, and you know how much is giving a Shepherd Pratt or or a large recovery institution, maybe you know like one of the bigger, fancier ones. How much help is that really given our community when they already have plenty of funding and they're not seeming to change the tide in in the recovery world a whole lot already right so let's let's do something different right let's create things that don't exist if we need them let's make things more accessible whatever it takes i mean i i keep trying to talk billy into starting our own uh the recovery <laughs> sort of program yeah whatever We're the make hell our own that is, right Where. I don't even know what that looks like, and maybe that's what holds me up from starting it, right? And maybe it's this desire to not leave my home, so to speak, of you know my fellowship. But I think it's needed, and I and I don't know what it looks like, and maybe I don't have to going in. Maybe I just start it, and then we fucking figure it out as we go. But well, I, I can't do it by myself, Billy. Yeah, <laughs> not putting a spot on you.
0: I know for me, and as a result of lots of different things and reading, research, this podcast, you know, working with voices stuff. I think for me a big personal change as a person in recovery is I don't look at my recovery community now as just the people in NA. Like that's what it used to be. You know what I mean? So I could show up and do an H&I commitment or sponsor somebody and be, "What? I'm doing all this work in my recovery community." Now I can look at that like my community is a much bigger, broader thing than just me it's the people that are using out there on the street like those are also my community and i can look at things i can do to help that community not just the people in my little close na group
1: right and and i think that's where the conversations that are on this show and that happen outside of this show like i know i'm i text people just random ass questions out of nowhere you wouldn't sponsor you wouldn't walk somebody on suboxone through the 12 steps like i was having a conversation (laughs) yesterday with somebody just getting all this feedback and this information has drastically changed who i am as a person right uh over the last two years and a week now i mean you talk about people coming from an anonymous program i didn't want nobody to know who the fuck i was i don't care now like, yeah, I need to put my name out there and I need to be looked at as somebody who came from this place and, and is a upstanding member of the community now. And that's what we do and we can do and we're capable of and our potential. And like, I, I don't want to be the fucking role model for that because I fuck up in my life. But, <laughs> but I mean, the fact is, like, I, I don't want to be anonymous anymore. And my feelings have changed about a lot. And as much as I felt attacked earlier, like maybe that did help me come to some conclusions about... You know, maybe this is where my my frustration is coming from. Is that this just isn't a fit for my belief system anymore? And
2: or maybe it can be both. Like, look, maybe. I am a I'm a diehard because of my experiences, my personal experiences, right, with the fellowship. But I do this work too. They they can marry each I don't other.
1: know, man, there's so, <laughs> there's so much disappointment about what I feel like we need versus what i feel like that's offering at this point and that's really tough for but
2: that's the entryway of what you build there's always that piece if you want to know what i personally do it's this piece right here but i'm invested in all this other stuff that's good Mm. for the community um but it's humility it's humility to to for me to be like this is what happened this is what works for me not everybody and you come into a place now where you're willing to be unanonymous, right? It's your own personal journey. God has a personal journey for you. That's so often we we look at, I think we look at other people's journey and we're like comparing and being like, well, I'm right, you're wrong, you should be here, I should be there. And it's like, this is a personalized life journey and it's all okay, you know, as long as it's going to a good place. And um. I think for some of us, we have to, in order to change, we have to be like, well, that sucks so bad. So that's why I'm changing. It's like, instead of being like, I am drawn to this, this is cool. This is cool. And that's cool. What is it? And I keep thinking of like, anytime I let go of something, I claw marks all over it. Mm-hmm. It's always like, anytime I, I kind of move away from something, I have to slice it up to show to everybody why I'm doing that to justify my move or my growth. And, uh, which could be a reflection, this is just you and me talking, that maybe you need to hang out with people who are doing a lot of growing and in NA, like, um you know, there's a lot of people that are adding to their base, you know, growing and changing, or just, an NA becomes a piece, maybe not just a base. But remember, didn't anybody tell you, like we used to say, you know, NA is just the tip of the spiritual iceberg, Right. There's a whole lot under the surface that we're going to experiment and grow and change with. But I never, in my gratitude and in my humility, I always respect that which has given me life to this point. But Sophie's waiting for me. So I got to go. She's texting. She's calling me now. How do we wrap it up, guys?
1: <laughs> I, I, that's it. Uh, go out there and, and, you know, if you feel so inclined, do something in your neighborhood to make it a better place, right? This isn't just about. Uh, like I think Billy and I kind of realized today this isn't just about showing up in our program like maybe it's a little more than just showing up in our program and
2: thank you everybody for donating and listening I appreciate (laughs) y'all Billy Jason I love you
1: So love you too Uh, yeah just do what's good for you and then uh, hopefully that fits in with what's good for the, the community as well stay safe Did you like this episode? Share it with people you think might get something out of it. Check out the rest of our episodes at recoverysortof.com. Also, while you're there, you can find ways to link up with us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Reddit, YouTube, anything. We're always looking for new ideas. Got an idea you want us to look into? Reach out to us.